Welcome to the official podcast for the Society of Urodynamics, Female Pelvic Medicine, and Urogenital Reconstruction. Here you will find podcasts highlighting clinically relevant topics, ongoing SUFU initiatives, SUFU member highlights, and much, much more. Hello, everyone. My name is Shannon Wallace, and I'm an associate staff physician at the Cleveland Clinic. I would like to thank SUFU and Dr. Mary Rose Sullivan and Dr. Larissa Rodriguez for giving me the opportunity to talk to you all today about modulating bladder function with light, the application of optogenetics to the urinary system. So for this talk, I have no financial disclosure. So the objectives of this talk will be to provide a brief background on the technique of optogenetics, especially for those who may be interested in using this technique in their future investigations and then to describe some of the recent studies that have applied optogenetics to better understanding and exploring um, the urinary system. And finally, to discuss some of the pros and cons of using optogenetics in our field. So briefly, as some background, biologists and neuroscientists have discovered that there are certain types of algae that produce a light-sensitive protein called an opsin. So these opsins are ion channels that open or close to allow influx of ions in response to specific colored light. So, so for example, there are sodium-gated ion channels that open when they're exposed to blue light at a certain wavelength, and then there are chloride-gated channels, um, ion channels that close when they're exposed to yellow light at a certain wavelength. And so neuroscientists recognize that if they inserted these opsins into the membranes of neural cells, then they could control the stimulation or inhibition of a nerve using light. Um, so the challenge really is introducing the microbial opsin into a specific region of the organism in question. So one approach is to use an engineered viral vector. So DNA encoding the opsin is inserted into a viral vector, which is then injected into the central nervous system or peripheral nervous system of the animal. And then once this DNA incorporates into the native neuron, the cell's transcription and translation processes enable expression of the opsin in the neuron terminal as um, shown in this figure. The neurons can then be activated or deactivated when exposed to a specific wavelength of light. Um, another approach is the creation of transgenic mice where the optogenetic actuator gene is introduced into the mice zygotes with a given promoter. Um, so transgenic mouse models may be used to produce more stably reproduced mouse lines for optogenetic expression in specific cell types. Researchers um, may use transgenic mice when they want to examine large neural areas as they require much more widespread expression, and they may want to use viral expression when they're examining a single region of interest. And so a crucial first step for optogenetic experiments is selecting the appropriate opsin to use, either in a viral vector or in a transgenic mouse line. So in, in reflecting on the objectives of your experiment, you need to decide whether you want to activate or deactivate um, the neuron population of interest. You also need to determine how fast you want to stimulate the population of interest and at what specific wavelength of light will be actually be required for optogenetic stimulation. And then the second step is deciding on a light source. Um, so the choice is usually between using LEDs or a laser. So LEDs have a long last, uh, lifetime, um, low operating temperatures, and they can be switched on and off with microsecond timing for pulsing protocols. Uh, but they do disperse light more so than lasers do, and lasers can focus light at a, at a high intensity. 
And so now that we have some background on this technique, uh, we can better delve into the type of optogenetic studies that have been performed in the urinary system. Um, so initially, optogenetics was applied only to control neural circuits in the brain. And then it was used to modulate the activities of the spinal cord and peripheral nervous system. Um, and now there are a number of studies which have focused on optically controlling the peripheral nervous system associated with the urinary bladder. Uh, but I will specifically focus on the work of Park and colleagues um, who used options to stimulate or inhibit contraction of smooth muscle cells in the bladder and Samanini and colleagues who used an implantable wirelessly powered optoelectronic system to manipulate bladder afferent expressed options. Mikkel and colleagues who expanded on this implantable device to attempt to normalize bladder function. And then finally, on some of the work that I had done with my collaborators on peripheral neuromodulation of both bladder pain in a mouse model and diabetic cystopathy in the mouse model. Um, so in 2017, Park and colleagues used both the viral transfection methods and the Crelox P transgenic system to both depolarize smooth muscle cells with channel rhodopsin 2, which induced bladder contraction, and then also um, they, uh, to hyperpolarize smooth muscle cells with halorhodopsin to inhibit bladder contraction. And so in this representative image from their paper, you can see that when they used in vivo blue light illumination during cystometry, they actually induced vesicle pressure elevation and bladder contraction um, as indicated by the asterisk on the graph. Also in 2017, Sam and colleagues aimed to optogenetically inhibit nociceptive sensory afferent with an inhibitory option to modulate bladder pain. So um, although Park and all were successful with their in vivo-like illumination, the muscle and connective tissue surrounding the bladder can block applied light, which can really complicate optogenetic implementation. So in this study, these authors actually developed a fully implantable, flexible, wirelessly powered optoelectronic system, which was implanted over the bladder, as you can see in this image. And so they found that optogenetic inhibition of those of these uh, nociceptive sensory afferents actually reduced both ongoing pain and evoked hypersensitivity in injured mice, but really had no effect on injured naive mice. So this, this same group then published a follow-up study using this uh, technique in 2019, which was led by Mikkel et al. Um, and they used a closed-loop approach and real-time information to identify pathological voiding behavior. And then they used optogenetics to deliver a corrective signal in response. So the researchers implanted this soft, stretchy, belt-like device that wrapped around the rat bladder, as you can see in this image. And they injected an excitatory and inhibitory option into the sensory neurons innervating the bladder to the rat. So their device was designed to yield like real-time information on bladder function and data algorithms for identifying pathological behavior. So for instance, when the bladder was empty too often, the device would send a signal that activated the LEDs to focus on sensory neurons in the bladder. And they found that their optogenetic device reduced the sensory neuron activity and then restored the bladder to normal function. Um, so starting in 2016, our team created a model of chronic peripheral neuromodulation where we targeted the sciatic nerve of the mouth. Um, so as you can see in this video, 
we target the light to the foot pad, um, which is innervated by the sciatic nerve, but has much thinner tissue so that the mouse responds to activation of the nerves in the presence of blue light. And this particular activating channel rhodopsin, opsin, that we chose for this study allows for about six to eight weeks of stimulation. Um, so we built these plexiglass cages with the floors lit by LEDs of blue light for daily light stimulation. So in our first study, we used a mouse model of interstitial cystitis and showed that mice who were peripherally optogenetically stimulated actually had reduced bladder pain responses compared to mice that were not optogenetically activated. In our second study, we used a diabetic histopathy mouse model with daily light stimulation to induce chronic neuromodulation. And then we analyzed the urinary voiding pattern over time, as well as the histologic and myogenic changes in the diabetic bladder. And what we found was that optogenetic stimulation significantly increased the number of voids of a group of optogenetically stimulated diabetic mice during the five-week period of light stimulation. Um, we also found that the diabetic mice who were chronically optogenetically stimulated also had higher levels of collagen 1 and collagen 3 mRNA expression than the diabetic mice who were not optogenetically stimulated. Um, and they also had higher levels of PGP9 protein, which is a marker of neural density. And so our second study showed that optogenetic neuromodulation of the diabetic mouse bladder with light stimulation both achieved a functional effect by showing an increase in the number of voids over time and also a histologic effect by upregulating proteins of the extracellular matrix and neuronal innervation. And so hopefully this has provided a flavor in 10 minutes of the type of techniques and studies that have been done using optogenetics in the urinary system. Um, so you can see that there are some significant benefits of the optogenetic approach, um, including being able to stimulate a very precise population of neurons. Uh, additionally, optogenetics allows us to stimulate neurons repetitively over time and is a relatively non-invasive technique. The recent development of a small implantable of small implantable devices for optogenetic manipulation of the bladder really has the potential to open up new avenues of research into the pathophysiology as well as the treatment of disorders of the urinary system. So there are some downsides of the optogenetics that need to be highlighted. So firstly, the safety of the viral vector um, that is required for optogenetics in humans needs to be proved not only in the short term, but also in the long term. And this challenge remains a major one, especially considering that there are still no clinically implemented optogenetic applications in humans. Um, additionally, developing a method of sustained opsin expression has been challenging, especially one that can translate into a human model. And finally, efficient light delivery methods, especially ones that will work in humans, are still needed. So for example, the thicker bladder wall in humans would probably impede light transmission from an external implantable device, like the ones that were used in the rat studies, and so might warrant creation of innovative light delivery modes for humans. So in conclusion, optogenetics is an innovative technique that can permit specific non-invasive and repetitive stimulation to the neurons of the urinary system. Um, this technique offers a novel way to understand the urinary system physiology and pathology, 
and optogenetics also has the potential for direct therapeutic application, as well as improving the development of new treatment strategies for urinary system disorders. So thank you for your time and attention, and I'm happy to answer any questions. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Sufu Podcast. Be sure to follow us on your favorite podcast streaming app. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, and SoundCloud. Follow us on Twitter with our handle at SuFuOrg, where we'll provide real-time updates of our next podcast episode launch. And be sure to check us out on our website, www.sufuorg.com.